Uh, John chapter 15, verses 18, 18, excuse me, verses 18 through 27 will be our focus for this morning. And God's inspired, inerrant word reads, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If, it, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they have both, have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without cause. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will also testify, because you have been with me from the beginning. And Father, now may your Spirit illuminate this text for us, Help us to understand it, but not only understand it, but to know how to apply it uh, to our life. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. The world hates you. The world hates us. When Martin Lloyd-Jones, minister in London for almost 30 years, agreed to come to America and lecture on, prince, or lecture on preaching at Westminster Theological Seminary, he gave two reasons why he was willing to leave the pulpit and come to America and give a series of lectures. And I quote, My reason for being very ready to give these lectures is that to me the work of preaching is the highest and the greatest and the most glorious calling to which anyone can ever be called. If you want something in addition to that, I would say without any hesitation that the most urgent need in the Christian church today is true preaching. And as it is the great and most urgent need in the church, it is also, or it is obviously, the great need of the world also. End quote. Just because Christians are hated by the world does not give Christians the right to shrink back from the world. And the world isn't, the only, isn't only just out there, but the world is also in here. And just because the world is in here also, in the church, doesn't give us a right to shrink back from true, solid preaching. In Acts, as, he was, in, in Acts, as Paul was moving on from Ephesus, he left the people there that he was pastoring, that he was leading, if you will. He left them with these words of encouragement in Acts chapter 20. And he said this, he said, Now, behold... I know that all of you among whom I am about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. 
Therefore, I testify this to you this day, that I am innocent of all blood. Why? Because for I did not shrink from declaring you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after I'm gone, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert. Paul wasn't, Paul was being very practical and acknowledging and realizing that the world wasn't just out there, the world was also within the church. Wherever there are people together, the world can reveal itself to them and to us. And Paul was laying down and putting this before them to know that when someone within your midst rises up, falls away, teaches a false doctrine, whatever it may be, you can expect that. Be on alert, be on a guard, be on a lookout for that type of thing. In 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 33, as this is say, it says that they feared Yahweh and served their own gods according to the customs of the nations. Now, I think as you think about that verse, they served Yahweh, but they also served the customs of the gods of the nations. We see where the, right from the beginning, there was this thought, there was this attempt to reconcile, to syncretize, right? God and world, God and culture. And this particular verse could serve as the motto for many of the past church movements that we must be careful that a possible current church movement that may also align with this verse. And just for a little bit, a quick overview of some church history, if we go back just a few years, we're not going to go back too far, but if we could just go back a few years to the 60s, where we had what was called the Jesus Movement. It lasted for a while and flourished, and by the late 70s, early 80s, it somewhat faded away and was replaced by another church movement that we know as the church growth movement, or seeker-friendly movement, if you will, as it's often called. And this model is based upon creating a church that unchurched people love to attend. Now, this model analyzes polls, it, it does surveys, and based upon the gathered information, it designs and creates a church that those who are outside the church would like or would love to, uh, to attend. Willow Creek is probably the first known seeker-friendly church, started in about 1975, I believe it was, by Bill Highballs, a, a, a church that has a, had a, a, a attendance of 18,000, 20,000 people every single Sunday morning, and the, the services there were very much production-oriented. Saddleback Church started on Easter Sunday in 1980 by Rick, Rick Warren out there in California, and Rick literally wrote the book on church growth movement, Purpose Driven Church. It was a book that I very much enjoyed. I wrote about a 30-page paper on it on my church growth and evangelism class. I spent a week out at Saddleback Church, and it was a model that was, that was excellent. I thought I really liked it, and it really sucked me into that particular model. But current churches, current churches maybe that, that take a page out of Saddleback and out of Willow Creek, or churches like Life Church out of Oklahoma that has multiple churches, uh, multiple satellite churches, multiple states, 
It's, it's an organization that covers a, a wide swath of the church community. There's also North Point Community Church down in Atlanta, Georgia, Alpharetta, Georgia, actually, just north of Atlanta. And it's uh, headed up by Andy Stanley, the pastor of the famous Charles Stanley. And it's also an organization that, that models and, and builds itself on a, on a church that un, or on a church that unchurched people would love to attend. Now, I'm not necessarily criticizing these organizations or, or saying that they're, they're not healthy, that they can't do good. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just saying that uh, uh, this type of church, this type of model can be very susceptible to falling for exactly what we already read in, 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 in the King's verse there, where it talks about uh, you know, where it talked about uh, trying to syncretize the gospel with culture and trying to bring these two things together, obviously for good, right? Of course, that's the agenda. That's, that's, that's the plan. That's the plan. But however, when our goal is to get the world to like us, we're on the wrong path. And we certainly don't want to purposefully make enemies with the world, right? Who wants to do that? We certainly do not want to do that. But the world, but we don't want to make enemies with the world. But Jesus, here in our passage, and this we're going to look at today, clearly says that the world hates us as Christian people. So before we go much further, we will have to um, obviously define what does the world mean. When we say the world, what are we speaking of? Right? What, 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 is that, what does that mean? And so the world, I want to offer you this morning, isn't a specific individual. And so if we want to put faces and names onto this definition, then we're, we're probably thinking incorrectly on what dimension or on how world here is, is, is being used. Uh, it's more systems. There, there's a book written by Walter Wink called The Powers That Be. And in this book, The Powers That Be, he talks about systems that get started and that get created, and then, then, then they get a mind of their own, right? Have you ever tried to get service on the phone from somebody, or from some company, or maybe on a product, or, or whatever it may be, and you can't ever get to the person who can actually help you, right? That's like a system that's created that is like, is there anybody in charge here? Right? It kind of gets a mind of its own. It's kind of like a bad sci-fi movie, right? Where, where the computer programmer designs and creates a, a computer or a robot. The next thing you know, it's like the, the, the computer or the robot has a mind of its own. The computer programmer completely loses control of the robot, right? It's a, it, it, it's a scene out of a, out of a nightmare, is it not? That's what we need to be thinking about as we think about world systems and about the world being unhappy or uses Jesus' terms, uh, uh, looking at us as the enemy, the world hating us. And so that's just a little bit of a setup for, for these verses here that we have this morning. And I'm just going to break this passage down into two parts. Two parts. The first will be 18 through 21, and it is simply titled, or I'm simply calling it, The Reason We Are Hated. The Reason We Are Hated. And then in verses 22 through verse 25, it'll be, The Haters Have No Excuse. That's so pretty simple. Uh, the reason we are hated, and then the haters have no excuse. Uh, so that's what we're going to look at a little bit here, here this morning. We'll start here, of course, with the, the reason for the hatred. Why are we hated? 
And are we actually hated? I mean, it says that's what it says, so we're going to assume that we are. And so what is the reason for that hatred? Verse 18. Verse 18 of our text here this morning starts out with, if the world hates you. Now, first thing we must understand, that is a conditional clause here, but it's not taken in the sense that uh, possibly, or if you find yourself in this scenario, that the world hates you, or if this should ever happen. It's not a hypothetical. It, it It is a fact. If the world hates you, Jesus says, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Now, does the world hate Jesus? Well, yes, we know it does. And so, therefore, we can also accurately assume that Jesus is not painting a scenario that may possibly happen. He's painting a scenario for this is going to happen. Again, we must remember the context of this story. This story is on a Thursday evening, right? The Last Supper. As Jesus is going to go, he's already ridden into Jerusalem on his donkey. Right? And in this very evening, he's going to be going out, and he's going to be arrested, and he's going to be killed. They're going to see what the hatred of the world system, of the religious system, looks like. And so we must understand that the world does here, and that's what he's saying, the world does hate us. So the disciples clearly understood this uh, within their, their time. There's another example that we could even look back. If you, if you look through patterns, right, and through all of life, whatever we're involved in, we want to look for patterns to try to look towards the future. And so we follow patterns, and we can go back to John chapter 9, and we can see this pattern already setting itself up. In John chapter 9, verse 22, uh, remember this is where Jesus heals the blind man born from birth. So this blind man was born from birth, and the problem wasn't that Jesus healed the blind man. The problem wasn't the question, did a miracle actually occur? The problem was the the, the healing happened, the eyesight was given on the Sabbath. That was the problem. And so then this is the response here. So in in chapter 9, verse 22, it says that his parents said this because his parents said, look, we're not answering for him. He's of age. Let him answer for himself. Well, what was their fear? What was their concern? His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid of the religious people, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him, Jesus, as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the Savior they were looking for, then he was going to be put out of the synagogue. The decision was already made that if anybody says Jesus is actually this coming Messiah, then you're out. You're excommunicated, if you will. And so therefore, they did not want to be truthful. And the disciples seen this happen. They, how could they possibly understand that? Because they, they certainly understood Jesus as the Messiah, but they seen that Jesus was not accepted. And so when Jesus says something like, if I'm going to be hated, you're also going to be hated. They had already seen this pattern develop long before this particular evening. And even from the beginning, John, the writer of this particular gospel, had said this in the very first chapter of John. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. His own people did not accept him. So right from day one, Jesus was rejected. Well, in verse 19, uh, verse 19, it would tell us that if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. So why does the world hate you? Because God chose you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. The world hates them and hates us because it sees us as traitors. 
It sees us and it sees them as leaving them very literally in their particular culture, their particular time, because they thought they were going directly against the synagogue. And so they clearly seen them as traitors. And the world hates them because Jesus chose them, chooses us out of the world. In verse 20, we're just going to go through this first part quickly, then we'll back up and make a point. We'll do that for each section. Verse 20 starts with an imperative. Remember, remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. Now, when did they say this to them? Back in the 13th chapter, the beginning of this evening, as Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and as Jesus did what he should have not had to do, and he certainly didn't have to, but he chose to do it on their behalf because none of the other fellows, none of the other guys were willing to, to do that. None of the other disciples were willing to do that. And so Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and after he was done, he reminded them, he said, listen, a slave is not greater than their master. So he already set it out for them. And here he's bringing that back to remembrance and saying, remember, Remember what I already said to you. A slave is not greater than his master, therefore you can wash each other's feet. And now what he's saying this evening and what they're going to understand more clearly in a few days is that not only does the master die on the behalf of the people, or if that master does die on the behalf of the people, so too must the slaves. Slave is not greater than the master. In essence, what Jesus is saying, listen, we serve together, we die together. We serve together, we suffer together. It's exactly what Jesus is telling them. What kind of attractional model is that? <laughs> yeah, when you think about doing church together, you want to offer that as your model? You want to offer that as your purpose statement? We serve together, we suffer together. It may be actually be a good one. But that, in essence, is what Jesus is telling the disciples, exactly what he's telling them. Listen, a slave is not greater than his master, than their master. If they persecuted me, and of course, that's obviously saying they obviously did. You know they did because they've seen it already happen. They're going to see it more fuller. They will also persecute you. So why do you think that you're not going to be persecuted if you've seen the master persecuted? And why do you think they're going to believe you when they don't believe me. Why do they think you're going to believe you if they do not believe me? It's a different model often that we look at today. In fact, back in Luke, Luke mentions this as he recorded this. He says, woe to anyone or woe to you when men speak well of you. Well, isn't that what we all want? Don't we want people to speak well of us? Well, of course we do. I think one of the things that we, we have to remember, of course, is there's a bit of a difference. I mean, if we want men to, or we want people, we want the society, we want the world uh, to speak well of us <clears throat> because we go along with their agenda, because we go along with culture, that's, that's when we find ourselves as being under the woe, being under the curse, being under the hang on for a moment. But of course we want to live as people, as good citizens and as good, good community members, as good people, right? So there's a bit of a, a difference there. Uh, if we try to do life so that the world accepts us, so that the world loves us, so that the world follows us, that's antithetical to the biblical teaching then. That's not what Jesus modeled for his disciples, and that's not what he's teaching us here. He says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they're going to keep your word also. And of course, we know they persecuted Jesus, and we also know they didn't take Jesus' word for it. 
and neither did they take our word for it. Now listen, what he says here at, at the end of verse um, 20, he says, they will keep yours also. Of course, we have nothing to say outside the biblical text. That's all we have. And so it's not like our word. It's not like if our word is not rooted and grounded in Scripture, that's our word. They're not going to accept it, and we already know they don't accept it. I mean, what happens when, when some of your ideologies and some of your belief systems and some of your morals are wrapped and rooted and grounded in Scripture, and you give that as a reason for why you believe a certain way? Culture can look at us funny when we do that. They don't believe it. They don't take us, you know, it's the foolishness of the gospel preached, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Look, look they're not going to believe you because they didn't believe me. And so that's what, what you are going to have. That's why you are hated. That's why you're hated. In verse 21, he says this. He says, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Not for ours, for his, because they do not know the one who sent me. They do not know the one who sent me. Now, it's a package deal. There are times where um, people, people will say, <clears throat> well, um, I, I follow Jesus. I don't really care about the God, especially the God of the Old Testament, right? I, I don't follow God. I, I follow Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. If, if you deny me, if you don't, they don't know me, they don't, they don't follow me because they don't know the one who, who sent me. It's, it's a package deal. If we say we follow Jesus, we say we follow God. It comes together. It is a package deal. It is a package deal. Well, that's kind of an overview of verses 18 through 21. Hopefully you got something from that. Now let's, let's back up just a little bit uh, to back to verse 19. And I want to uh, hone in on something here, uh, here for us. And, and in verse 19, um, <clears throat> I'll read it for you again. Verse 19, it says, if you were of the world, because this is Jesus' point, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But since you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, that is why the world hates you. Now, we want to hone in a little bit here. You can probably guess it already. Hone in a little bit on this. I chose you out of the world. Let's, let, let's understand that, because that is the reason why Jesus is saying we are hated. And so we're going to have to Dive a little bit deeper right here. And so first we need to understand this word chose. Now, it's, it's, it just means what it means in English, right? I mean, there's no, there's no hidden secret messages is here. The, the true meaning of the text is usually the literal meaning of the text. And so it literally means that is to make a choice based upon a significant preference, right? It's to select for one's own choice. Did I choose to have a cup of coffee with sugar and cream this morning? Or did I even choose to have any coffee this morning? You know, it's just simple choices. It's exactly the meaning of the text here. And so the word here, though, is a very positive word. And all, at times, though, it may sound as a, a bit negative, but it's, it's a very positive meaning here uh, before us in this particular text. In Mark chapter 13, verse 13, Jesus had this to say when he said, You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end... He, he will be, be saved. And so who are those who endure to the end? These right here that Jesus has chosen out of the world. So although it can seem a bit negative, it's actually very positive because Jesus assures us here that those who are followers of Jesus will endure to the end. 
A few verses down in Mark chapter 13, Jesus continues and he says, unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, same word here, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And so it's a very positive word as we think about our relationship and our connection with Jesus in the midst and in the context of persecution, in the context of being hated, in the context of finding this, um, uh, uh, this negativity directed towards us because we name the name of Jesus. We will endure to the end, and God, Jesus, will see to it that that will happen. Now, it is not the individual. Again, we must remember, it is not the individual who hates us. We, we must, it's manifested at times through individuals, of course, but it's not the individual Although it is the individual who is responsible, we're all responsible for our own, our own actions, but it is the sin of a fallen world, right? It's the war against the flesh. The flesh is warring against, against the spirit that is our true, true enemy. Non-Christians are not our enemy. Those who don't believe and see uh, the way that we do as Christian people, they are not our enemy. They are not enemy. It's the system they're operating in that is our enemy. It's a small distinction, and yet it's a, a huge distinction as we look at um, the world, the culture, as our enemies. It's that system. We must, we must understand that. Um, for instance, we think of the, the life of Joseph, um, and we think about, as we see his story, Right? I mean, here, here's Joseph. He didn't do anything wrong other than being buried, married, or, or born first from, from, from the favorite wife. Other than that, he didn't do anything wrong. He, he didn't have a choice to be born to, to her. But nonetheless, because he was, they didn't like him. Right? And they said, the brother said, hey, 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 we're going to get rid of this favorite son. Or we're going to have to do something about this guy. And so you, you know the chain of events. You're very familiar with the story. And it gets all the way down to the end. And what does Joseph do? Does Joseph say, brothers, you're responsible? No. But he says, brothers, what you did was wrong. What you did is bad. And I know you meant it for evil. But, but, but that, that God meant it for good. In the midst of that, God was working his plan. In the midst of the life of Joseph, in the midst of those struggles, in the midst of those troubles, he was, he was working that out. Purposeful sovereignty, as John Piper calls it. I love that. Purposeful sovereignty. This is why I chose or choose as a positive word. When it does, when it does lead the world, even though it does lead the world to hate you. See, if we understand that we're chosen by God on purpose, for a purpose, then no matter what comes our way, we understand that the ultimate end, just as Joseph was able to say here, though you meant it, Though those mean it, though the world may mean it for our harm, God means it for our good, our good. Ephesians 1.4, right? God chose us before the foundation of the world. In fact, in John Piper's latest book, it just showed up at my doorstep on Friday, so of course I had to jump into it a little bit. It's simply called Providence. Providence. And in it, he has this to say, and I quote, the biblical authors do not bring up the issue of God's purposeful sovereignty over sin merely to validate a theological viewpoint. That's, that's not the purpose, but rather to humble human pride. Listen, but rather to humble human pride, intensify human worship, shatter human hopelessness, 
and put ballast in the battered boat of human faith and steel in the spine of human courage and love in the human heart that sees no possible human way forward. Forward. Isn't that beautiful? When we think of God's divine plan, that should cause us and bring us great joy no matter what we're facing because we know that God is in control, God is in uh, in charge of it, all to work out His plan that He had for us before the foundation of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but if that can't bring you energy in the midst of whatever you're facing, then I don't know what else can. Do not forget the one who chose you out of the world. And just as Joseph, you may very well find yourself in a position Maybe not exactly like Joseph, but in a hard place just like Joseph. And you must remind yourself and realize that it's all part of God's ultimate plan. But that's why. That's the reason for the hatred. Do you understand? That's the reason because God has chosen us out of that world system. Well... We could go further about that, but we're going to have to hurry up on this next point, and that is the haters have no excuse. The haters have no excuse. Um, we see it in verses 22 to 25. Uh, the haters have no excuse. So um, verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin, right? So, so since I did come and speak to them, Jesus says, not, but now they have no excuse for their, their, their sin. Now, what's he speaking of? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 18, where he said this, speaking of Moses, he said, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak them all that I commanded him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. This is exactly what Jesus is pointing out to them. Saying, look, look, because they heard the, and because they rejected me, they know Deuteronomy. These are religious people. They know their Bibles. And yet they rejected Jesus right here. That is why they are without excuse. Verse 23. He who hates me hates my father also. Now, here is just the reverse. Some say, I follow Jesus, but not God. And here Jesus Jesus is saying, listen, there are those who say that they follow God, but not Jesus. And Jesus is saying, nope, not an option. If If you don't like me, you don't like God. If you don't like God, you don't like me. It's a package deal. It's a package deal. Verse 24. Verse 24, Jesus says here, if I had not done among them the works that I did, so because I'd done all these miracles, because I did all these signs and wonders before them, because they should have put this together and seen, therefore, therefore they are without excuse. It's just like what John said in, in John chapter 9, what Jesus said with healing of that blind man. He says, if you were blind, you, were, you, were, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have an excuse. But since you claim to see and yet you're missing me, you are actually blind. You are actually blind. No reason to hate. They have none, Jesus says in verse 25. But they have done this actually to fulfill the word that was spoken, and that is that they will hate me without a cause, without a cause. Well, obviously, we had to focus in on the word chosen there because that is the reason 
that they hated the disciples and they hate us. Here we're going to have to focus in on the word excuse because they are without excuse for hating us, for hating those who are, are chosen here, Jesus says. And so without excuse here in verse 24 or verse 22, it just gives us a sense that they were making a, a, an excuse. They were making a reason. They were saying, well, Jesus, we don't believe you. Jesus is standing right before them. He is speaking. He is doing works and doing wonders. And they are rejecting. They are denying him. And they are making an excuse and saying, no, because you did these things on the Sabbath. And on and on go their excuses. So Jesus says, no, you are actually without an excuse because you are refusing me who's standing before you physically. You are refusing me because you're hearing my physical, actual words words that I, I'm saying to you, therefore, you are without excuse because I am physically here before you. Now, Romans chapter 1, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, mainly his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen. It's evident for all, and yet, though they have denied it, they are without excuse. Now here, in, in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, we have our same word, but, but a different sense, because here in our text this morning, they, Jesus is before them, and so they must answer here in the now. There's no way around it. Here in Romans, Paul is saying, listen, the day will come where you will be called upon to give a reason why you eject, rejected God. And you're not going to have an excuse because the creation was revealed before you. Do you follow? Do you understand what I'm saying? Right? And so here, Jesus is standing physically in front of them. And so here in the moment, they must answer. Yet, though, the world out there that hates the Christian will have no excuse because they see the creation that is out there. They're going to be without an excuse as they stand and give an account for their rejection of Jesus because of the creation that is out there. Here in John, there's an urgency. They must respond immediately. In fact, as Don already said, they rejoice as he came in. A couple days later, they said, let's kill him. That quickly, they must give an account. Well, those out there that, are, that sometimes we view as our enemy, but it's the system again, and the world out there that rejects Jesus. Listen, they have the ability. They have the right. They have the leeway, if you will, to reject and deny, reject and deny, but the time will come where they too will stand before God, and they must answer for their rejection, for their denial of Him. Because as Paul so clearly spells out through inspiration here, that the creation itself revealed the glory of God, as the psalmist tells us, right? So that is why, that is why we must, we must uh, remember that. I got off on a tangent. I've lost my place. Where are we at? Oh, yeah. So people can be passive, or people, uh, and, and we had that right at the moment to be that way. But the time will come where they will have to give us an answer. Remember Hebrews chapter 4? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that tells us that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's the Word that they reject. It's not our Word. It's God's Word. The Word that we give them, the encouragement that we give them, as, as we go out and we try to evangelize or, or share a good word or whatever terminology we want to add to that, as we try to be faithful followers of Jesus and they reject that. 
Listen, the word of God will not return to, to him void. So they are without excuse. It is not our job to convict, to, to, to drive anyone to believe our way. It is our job to, to share our faith, right? And that's what Jesus is going to say. Listen, you're going to go through persecutions. You're going to hear things, and you're going to face troubles, just as I myself did. Verse 26 and 27, but I'm going to send you the helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Every Christian, every follower of Jesus has the Holy Spirit living within us. He will guide you. He will lead you. He will testify about me, and in return, you will testify about me. You will testify about the work of God within your life. You know, it kind of reminded me on those two, two verses right there. It kind of reminded me, sometimes we see these pictures, um, right? <clears throat> we see these pictures, of, and one picture we'll have with this caption that'll say how it started, right? And then we'll see the other picture, and it said how it's going, right? You've all seen those types of scenarios, right? Uh, right? Often it's like in a marriage, or, or here they are really young, right? And this is how it started, and, and here we are now a little bit older. This is how it's going, and you got your family. You know, it's a positive. It's a, it's a good thing. Well, I think for us, it's the same thing for as a Christian, right? How it started. Remember how it started. Do you remember how it started? Do, do you remember when the Holy Spirit, do you remember when God chose you out of the world? How's it going? How's it going? Father, I pray that as we think about being hated by the world, we know it's not individuals that are also created in your image, but they function and they operate under the system of the world that comes from the evil one. And Father, at times it can be very difficult to separate the face from the system. I pray, Lord, as we go about our daily business, our daily walk, our daily life, and we face these challenges. And Father, certainly we don't want to look for the evil one under every rock, behind every tree. But we must understand the evil system of the world manifests itself in sometimes not so obvious ways. And so, Father, would your spirit that lives within us continue to illuminate continue to guide and direct our course, that maybe at the end of the life we too can look back and remember this is how it started. And remember the ups and the downs of that journey to where we can say, and this is how it's going. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.